This is VLX number 86, Hidden from the Foundation of the World. This is Matthew chapter 13, verses 33 through 34. God give you his peace, and nomine patri sufiti et spiritu santi, amen. God our Lord, we ask the grace that all of our intentions, actions, and operations be directed purely to the service and praise of your divine majesty. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Thus are the words of the Holy Gospel. Okay, so you probably noticed the first parable is only a single verse today. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Now notice right there that the ESV, it rightly shows that the noun for leaven should be the same as the verb for leavening, leavening the dough, because it's actually the same in the Greek. Leaven in Greek as a noun in this sentence, if you want to write it above the noun leaven in your Bible, there is zume, Z-U-M-E. And then the verb conjugated just a few words later for lifting or leavening is ezomuthe, E-Z-U-M-O-T-H-E, or ezomuthe. This is another one of those parables that sounds really boring at first glance, but I think it has a lot to do with the discouragement a lot of us feel in the world and why we should feel encouraged. Because remember, remember in Genesis 18, you have Abraham and he's literally bargaining with God to see if God will spare not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And so you remember Abraham says, if you can just find 50 righteous people, can you not destroy these cities? And God says, yes. And so he starts bargaining him down to 40 and then 30. Uh, and then listen to Genesis 18 verses 31 to 33. He said, behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. This is Abraham. Suppose 20 are found there. He, God, answered, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, O let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again, but this once. Suppose ten are found there. He answered, For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. So right there we see just how few people God needs to change the whole world. And this is why all the New Covenant saints, the saints after the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus, why they put so much emphasis on the quality of your own holiness, not so much on how many people around you are striving for holiness. And I think as we look at the state of the state and the state of the church, we should really look at this uh, leaven parable to really see God is calling you to be the leaven in this entire batch of dough. That just a tiny leaven lifts the entire batch of dough. Obviously, Christians are called to be that tiny, tiny drop of leaven in the whole dough of our world right now. Now, you know, it's funny, St. John Chrysostom, he lamented, even by the 4th century, that if the dough of the world was that bad, even in the 4th century, it's because the leaven was not as strong as 300 years before that. St. John Chrysostom says, quote, If twelve men, the apostles, leavened nearly all the meal of the world, consider diligently in your minds how great must be our wickedness and sloth, who, although we are so many, are not able to convert the remnant of the Gentiles when we ought to be sufficient for a thousand worlds. 
I think it was the devil who said to um, St. John Vianney, uh, if there were 10 of you in the world, my, en- my kingdom here would be ended. Now, some people say, well, you don't know that's true, because if, if he said that, the devil is a liar to St. John Vianney. But I kind of have a suspicion he was actually maybe speaking the truth that time to St. John Vianney. If just 10 priests, maybe it was three or four priests, I can't remember. But the devil said to St. John Vianney, if there were just a few priests like him in the world, Satan's kingdom here uh, would be ended. What are these three measures of flour? Let's see what the church fathers say. St. Ambrose, Theophylact, and St. Jerome say, the gospel leavens and unites to itself three measures, that is, the three parts of man, namely, spirit, soul, and body. Symbolically, St. Hilary says, the grace of the gospel was hid in the law, the Psalms, and the prophets. Now it has appeared in the faith, hope, and love of the Holy Trinity, so that what the law constituted and the prophets announced the same might be fulfilled by the advent of the Gospels. So there we have faith, hope, and charity. We also had spirit, soul, and body. Obviously, the, the most glorious of any of this would be the Trinity, but um, the, the Church Fathers look at this from many different angles. So anytime you hear three, don't just only think the Trinity. Of course, that's the pinnacle of three and one and one three, of course, but there's a lot more to look at. So again, we have these three measures as spirit, soul, and body, also, faith, hope, and charity. Still others say, quote, that it is because the gospel makes three kinds of believers, beginning, beginners, and the proficient, and the perfect. And then these yield 30, 60, and 100-fold. And my favorite of all these is St. Bernard. He says that the Blessed Virgin joined and united in her womb the three measures, that is, the three aspects of Christ, namely soul, body, and divinity, to the one hypostasis of the word. Isn't that beautiful that Mary joined in her womb Christ's soul, body, and divinity to that one hypostasis of the word? And then a little bit more, anagogically, Caesarius says that the woman leavening the dough is the power and wisdom of God that is Christ's divinity. The three measures of meal are, first, the universe of mortal things, secondly, death, and third, orcus, that is, the underworld and the grave, in which Christ's body was hidden and leavened all things unto resurrection and life. And now let's look at verse 34. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world or hidden from the foundation of the world, as I call this VLX. Now that's a loose quote. That is Jesus right there quoting, kind of loosely, Psalm 77 in the Catholic numbering or Psalm 78 in the Protestant numbering. So you might want to go look at that. If you have the Dewey Rhymes Bible, look at Psalm 77. If you have a Protestant numbered Bible, which unfortunately is the RSV, the ESV, and even the New American Bible uses the Protestant numbering, kind of sad that you know we have such little Christian unity, we can't even number the Bible the same way. But let's look at the uh, Catholic Dewey Rhymes first in Psalm 77. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter propositions from the beginning. How great things have we heard and known and our fathers have told us. They have not been hidden from their children in another generation, declaring the praises of the Lord and his powers and his wonders which he hath done. And then we have the uh, Protestant ESV in Psalm 78 or any of the other uh, numberings besides the Dewey Rhymes. says in Psalm 78, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known, that our fathers have told us, 
We will not hide them from their children, but tell them to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. And so right there, it shows you the Hebrew to the English. There's a, there's a lot of latitude right there. Those are both um, accurate translations right there. Kind of interesting, that line in the um, ESV, I will utter dark sayings from of old. That doesn't mean negative or evil phrases. It means kind of hidden, kind of Lord of the Ringsy type hidden. Now remember, we learn that Christ taught openly. Christ taught openly in Capernaum. But what happened? People mocked him, and then the Pharisees started to persecute him. So now... Now Jesus has to speak in code, in parables, and it's not because he's afraid of them, but because, look, he still has to upload a whole teaching system that we Catholics call the deposit of the faith. He has to upload this whole system before they kill him. But this deposit of the faith was determined by God before the foundation of the world. This entire mystery, God knew there would be sin entering the world because of free will, and already before the foundation of the world, he planned the redemption of the cross. In fact, the Dewey Rhymes Bible in Apocalypse 13.8 says Christ was slain from the beginning of the world. Christ was slain from the beginning of the world. Now, how in the world was Jesus slain from the foundation of the world if he was crucified in time as we, as we believe? Well, eventually we're going to have to see what the fathers say about that if we ever get there. But I suspect, and this is just me, I suspect it's because God in his eternity planned the cross for redemption from even before the creation of the world, since he saw that free will would be misused and sin would be executed. But still, how beautiful, how much he loves us, that he had planned our rescue from the beginning of the world. Now, Father Lapide says that this psalm commemorates and celebrates God's benefits to the synagogue, that is, the people of Israel from the beginning, that is, from their going forth out of Egypt under Moses, until David's own time, in order that he might stir up the people to be grateful to God and to love and worship him. But mystically, says St. Jerome, David was there a type, that means a prefiguring figure, of Christ who speaks of and celebrates the benefits granted by God through himself to his church, which are formerly hidden. Notice that the Hebrew word for parables is mashal, mashal, which signifies any weighty, well-known saying one which predominates over others. Okay, that's kind of, might, might have sounded a little bit boring. That's really an important definition of a parable right there. It comes from the, from the Hebrew, mashal, which signifies any weighty, well-known saying, one which predominates over others. For, says Father Lapide, mashal means to rule. Thus it came to signify what was obscure and recondite, whether it were an enigma, an allegory, a parable, or a sentence properly so-called. So notice what he's saying right there is that a mystery, a parable is a mystery that reveals the truth more than a lie. Um, now, why do I say more than a lie? I think we in, in the West, we're so, you know, we hear the word mysticism, and I think we think maybe first of the word misty, which means you don't see clearly. But for some reason, um, because we've become very shallow Christians in the West, when we hear mysticism, unfortunately, we think of Hinduism and Buddhism. But for us in the West, it doesn't have to be that way. We don't have to see that there's uh, some type of decoupling between truth and mysticism. The beauty, the power of Judaism, and then once Catholicism became the one world religion that was true at the resurrection of Christ or the death of Christ, um, we can see that the parables of Christ show us there is no decoupling. There's no separation between mysticism and truth. So we have to get it out of our idea. We have to get it out of our mind that there's this idea that mysticism means 
less clear truth? No, 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 no. Someone like St. John of the Cross, arguably the greatest mystic of the Catholic Church, had his doctrine down super solid. He could go into town and he could share the faith. He was actually responsible for conversions of regular people. He spoke like a regular Spaniard in the 16th century. So someone like him who repeatedly talked about divinization, if you look in all of his writings, it's probably the most mystical, at least conglomeration that we have of a doctor of the church. That's why he's known as the mystical doctor of the church. Um, he was at the same time a very normal person. His feet, you've probably heard this phrase before, you can have your head in the clouds, but have your feet firmly planted on earth. So mysticism in Judaism, in the Old Testament, and then Catholicism, Christianity now, there doesn't have to be any decoupling between truth and mysticism. So there's hidden things, but that means they're true. It doesn't mean uh, that we have to look towards um, the Far East, where truth really means not. I've spent time in India, and Indian Catholics will tell you that, that there's a huge difference between Hindus and Catholics because the Eastern religions, truth doesn't mean much. And that's not me judging those religions. It really doesn't mean very much. Um, but in Western civilization, in Judaism and Catholicism, the truth is everything. So again, parables are mystical propositions unfolding truth, not lies. Okay, now before we jump into the imaginative way a little bit, I want to give a few public service announcements that apply to both methods, the study method and the imaginative way. I'm sorry these points are a little bit disjointed, but let's go over them because actually I think you're going to like most of them since they have to do with the saints more than me. Um, the first thing I want to mention is Lapida. You know, I, you guys hear me say that word a lot, and I just want to promote the two ways you can get them. There's a huge difference. The first way is absolutely free, and the second way is $200. So... If you just want to look at Father Lapide free online for the entire New Testament, maybe parts of the Old Testament, I'm going to link that in my show notes, and it's at catholicapologetics.info. Again, if you want to see Lapide online for free, it's catholicapologetics.info, and that's more than the Gospels. Now, if you want to have a hardback like this and buy it, it's $200 for all of the Gospels. I'm not getting any... Um, whatever royalties for saying this. I'm just very thankful that they actually made this. It was translated by Thomas Mossman and then revised and compiled by Michael Miller, produced at Loretto Press in New Hampshire. I don't know any of those guys. I just feel that they did such a great job. I should kind of promote this. That is $200 for all of the hardbacks, which I know is a little pricey, but if you're like me studying this all the time, it's certainly worth it to have it. So I'm going to put that in the show notes at Loretto Pubs, which is Loretto Publications. Um, Okay, another little announcement. Least importantly, I am on Telegram now, so you can find me at a channel called Padre Peregrino. Most importantly on my little announcements here, at my masses, I do pray for my material and spiritual benefactors and their families, friends, enemies, and all your deceased family and friends. So I do pray for um, you all, and I actually say that in many of my masses, my material and spiritual uh, benefactors. So even if you're praying for me, you're getting masses said back, even if I don't say all your names all the time. Okay, now I want to mention a few things about how the saints see mental prayer. Here's how the saints see mental prayer, because I've been hearing a couple questions coming to me, and it's, it's actually exciting for me to answer some of these, because these are great questions. Now, someone recently asked me if it was dangerous for lay people to do mental prayer. Well, the, the question came a little bit differently than that, but that was a question, that's essentially a question that's been asked by Catholics for the past 500 years. Is it dangerous for lay people to do mental prayer? Now, there were some good Catholics in the Middle Ages who did indeed think lay people could deceive themselves frequently in mental prayer. 
But the doctors of the church, like St. Alphonsus Liguori and St. Francis de Sales, they come down on the side of saying, yes, absolutely, lay Catholics definitely should do mental prayer, mental prayer being meditation on the Gospels. And by the way, so this idea that like Catholics weren't meditating on the Bible until Vatican II is just absolutely ridiculous. Um, now, it is true, as far as this topic of deceit, it is true that you could be in danger of fooling yourself into thinking you're a mystical person. Remember how we talked about mystical? We think of mystical as misty, lack of clarity. Um, and then you get kind of mixed up in all of that, thinking you're, I don't know, uh, Eastern guru on top of a mountain or something. Well, I have a real practical way out of that trap of spiritual arrogance. Because essentially what we have to avoid here, especially if you're getting good at this method, is spiritual arrogance. So, okay, imagine you're doing mental prayer. You're doing your daily mental prayer. You're talking to Jesus or Mary, as St. Ignatius or St. Teresa of Avila tell you to do in this discursive mental prayer. Let's say you hear something back or perceive that you hear something back in prayer. You might be tempted to go tell your husband or your friends what you heard in prayer. Well, here's my thoughts on that. First, you probably should just keep it to yourself between you and Christ because prayer is really just that intimate. Uh, I'm not saying keep things from your spouses. It's just there's enough to talk about in a family, even in a great marriage, that you probably don't have to go say, Jesus told me this and Jesus told me that. That would just get annoying. Secondly, um, you would know, and I, well, I think all of you know this, that if what you quote-unquote heard in prayer went against church teaching, then it wasn't from God. This is one of the rules of St. Ignatius of Loyola. So if you, know, you think you're supposed to leave your husband or something, you know that's not from God. Um, thirdly, and here's what I really want to stress today, because I think we covered those, those first two, but here's what I really want to stress today. If you have to share it with somebody, just say something like this. In prayer, I had an understanding in my heart that I'm supposed to start volunteering at a crisis pregnancy center five hours a week. See how that goes? Don't, don't say to your husband, Jesus told me I'm supposed to volunteer at a crisis pregnancy center five hours a week. I mean, how, how can your husband argue with that if it was actually Jesus? No, it's a lot more humble to just say, I had an understanding in prayer I'm supposed to do X or Y or Z. And you know, I'm, I'm actually very wary of people who say, God told me this. Think about it. Mary, the Immaculate Conception, when the Incarnation happened, who is she talking to in the beginning of that passage? An angel. She, even she wasn't talking directly to God right before the Incarnation. Now, she probably was as soon as the Incarnation happened, but the main dialogue there in Luke's Gospel is between Mary and an angel, not God himself. So I'm very, very wary of people. If the Immaculate Virgin Mary, the Holy Theotokos, has to speak to God at times through an angel, I'm pretty sure you and I can't go around and just be like, and then God tell me this, and then God tell me that. Bad idea. Just say, I had an understanding in prayer. Sorry to do the valley girl accent there. Um, so to say on the humble side, if you ever have to share anything from your prayer to avoid spiritual arrogance, just say, in prayer, I had an understanding in my heart that dot, 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 X, Y, or Z. Now, another concern some of you might have is you might say you're not good at mental prayer. That's okay. You know, St. Teresa of Avila, she did allow one of her nuns, I can't remember if she allowed that nun to either do the rosary during mental prayer time or just do reading. One of her nuns was allowed to do that. But notice, that was one of all of her nuns. Most of you can do this. Um, if you really have a hard time in mental prayer, I would say just use this VLX study just for the study part. And then make sure you have silent time just reading good spiritual direction or 
say in your rosary. Maybe mental prayer isn't for everybody. I think it is, but Teresa of Avila did give a pass to one of her nuns. Now, another opposition to this series or this podcast could be some people might say, well, shouldn't lay people just be doing vocal prayer like maybe the Psalms as a family? Well, look, I'm, I'm always promoting the rosary as a family. I'm even all for Psalms together as a family. I especially encourage everyone to do Compline. That's the last of the uh, hours of the divine office together. It's actually my favorite in both the uh, new and the old breviary. Do Compline together as a family. That's a great idea. But here's this is important because this doesn't come from me. This comes from St. Francis de Sales, doctor of the church. He's known as the layman's doctor of the church. St. Francis de Sales says that unless you are bound to the divine office like a cleric, mental prayer is far and away more important for the lay person than the divine office or Roman breviary. Again, especially if you're lay, a layman or a laywoman. But here's the thing. If there's any priests or nuns listening, remember, you need both. You need both divine office and the mental prayer. Now, we're bound much more to the divine office. But remember, St. Saint, Alphonsus Saint Liguori says it's impossible to avoid mortal sin without 30 minutes of mental prayer a day. And he held that for priests and nuns and lay people. Okay, now you may have seen me put online, uh, I think on Twitter a few days ago, the most important resolutions that I would suggest to people for especially a lay person. And notice this only comes to 60 to 90 minutes a day. The best resolutions you can take. So you don't overwhelm yourself in resolutions. Here's the top three, I think. First, rosary at 20 minutes a day. Second, mental prayer at 20 minutes a day. And third, hard physical exercise for 20 minutes a day or at least a hike. I'm a hypocrite on that. I get in hikes a lot, but not hard physical exercise. Anyway, point is 20 minutes times three, that comes to one hour, not including transition time. And so if you think about it, what I'm telling you is that my recipe for your holiness comes to just one hour out of 24 hours a day. Think about that. One twenty-fourth of your day is a pretty easy program I'm giving you for holiness. In fact, you've heard me say this before. I don't think you need a spiritual director if you have just a good confessor if you're doing this. 20 minutes rosary, 20 minutes mental prayer, 20 minutes exercise. Okay, let's switch gears to close on the imaginative way. Remember that St. Bernard today, when we were talking about this little bit of leaven in the three measures of meal or flour, he said that the Blessed Virgin Mary joined and united in her womb the three measures, that is the three aspects of Christ, soul, body, and divinity, to the one hypostasis of the word. So one thing you may want to do in your mental prayer today is be in a kitchen and just imagine yourself kneading dough with Mary, the mother of God. It's just you and Mary, you're kneading, to, kneading dough. And then for 20 minutes, talk to her about all these things we talked about today. What's going well in your mental prayer? What's going poorly? Your fears? Uh, what is bad? Resolutions to keep. How much you love her and her son? And maybe ask her, what, what can I do to follow Jesus better? Or if you're, not, if you're a non-Catholic following the series and maybe you're not ready to talk to Mary yet, I might suggest you meditate on the Trinity at the moment of creation of all galaxies, obviously the Trinity existed eternally before creation outside of time in his own eternity. But imagine, imagine as, as God makes all these galaxies and supernovas and all the angels at that first moment of creation. Um, imagine God's love for you, how he had planned dying for you on that cross, that God knew even in that moment of all these supernovas that he would die doesn't die as God, but he dies as man on a cross, as we heard in Apocalypse 13.8, that Christ was somehow even slain from the beginning of the world. Christ was slain from the beginning of the world. What a beautiful and powerful meditation that could be. 
And please say an our Father for me at benedictio de omnipotentis. Pachi Sifidi, et Spiritus Sancti, descended super vos, et mani et semper. Amen.